Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. As you know from the reading, we're uh, continuing this series uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus uh, kind of teaching about this thing called the kingdom. Um, hopefully you're, you're starting to get familiar with it. You're starting to pick up some of the main themes that, that, that God has created a way for us to flourish as human beings. This is how uh, people were created to live. And if we live this way, well, we're going to flourish. We're going to do well. Um, uh, and it's going to be best for us. And also this idea that we've been looking at probably for the past kind of month now, this idea of, of greater righteousness, which really is um, a right way of living, a right way of living to do, what, to do with what's in your heart. So it's more concerned with what, what's on the inside than what's on the outside. More, to do, more concerned with what your motivations are uh, as opposed to what you actually do. Um, and, and, and today we, we go into this new section where Jesus has finished talking about greater righteousness, this right way of living when it concerns our, our kind of, uh, if you like, spiritual life, although we don't like to make that division, but, but the things we do because we're Christian. And now he, and now he starts talking about this, this right way of living when it comes to the world, the, the world around us. Um, and he breaks us into two sections. Firstly, today, um, we, we see greater, greater righteousness in relation to, to the material world. So this right way of living when it comes to money and stuff, basically. And then next week, uh, I'm actually not going to be here. Um, I've been asked to go uh, to Village East next week uh, to kind of commission some new missional community leaders. So I'm going to do that. And, and John, uh, one of our elders, other elders, uh, is going to come and he's going to teach this next section in, in greater righteousness as it relates to other people. Um, and, and really from this point on, we're getting into some of the, familiar, some of the phrases from the Sermon on the Mount that, that you're pr- probably everyone in the Western world is familiar with. So judge not lest you be judged. We've all heard of that. Um, an eye for an eye and all that kind of stuff. We're going to, the golden rule, do, do to others as you would have done unto yourself, that kind of stuff. And we're getting into that section uh, next week. But for day, today, um, we're going to talk about the material world, money and possessions, money and stuff. Um, we're going to see that Jesus is teaching us about how we relate to our finances, how we relate to the things we own, the material world around us. And there's a question that we need to ask ourselves before we get into it. So the question is, what is your relationship with money and possessions? I don't know if you ever think about it, but take a second to consider, how do you think about money? How do you think about uh, the, the stuff you own and the stuff you want to own? 
More specifically, the question we need to ask, and I want you to keep this in mind as we go through this passage today, uh, what place do money and possessions hold in your heart? What place do money and possessions hold in your heart? So I'm going to pray. Uh, we can never pray too much. I'm going to pray and ask for God's help. Um, and then we'll, we'll get into what Jesus sent to us this morning. Father, we want to thank you that, that you don't leave us without wisdom and without guidance, that, that your word, as Rachel reminded us, is, is living and you're speaking to us this morning. Just as, 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 as our voice is carried on our breath, your word is carried to us, to our hearts, on your breath, which is your spirit. So Holy Spirit, uh, allow us to hear it, allow us to receive it, and allow us to apply it to our lives uh, for your glory. Amen. Um, maybe you get a bit nervous whenever I say we're going to talk about money because we're good Northern Irish people and there's two things that you never talk about, right? There's two things that we as a society don't talk to each other about. One is money and the other is parenting. You can never criticize or never comment on somebody else's parenting style, isn't that right? If you do, uh, you might get in trouble. And the other thing is money. We never talk about money. No one's ever going to say, well, how much do you earn because I earn this much? No, that's impolite. It's rude. Um, you would certainly never think that you could challenge the way you, someone else spends your money. Really? You're, you're doing that, but you're not doing this? We just don't do that. But yet, Jesus talks about money. In fact, he talks about money an awful lot. So in the Gospels, in the four Gospels, the, the, the accounts of Jesus' time on earth, um, one out of ten verses is directly about money and possessions. One in ten verses. Did you realize that? The Bible, the whole Bible, this whole book, has um, about 500 verses on prayer. So we think that's really important, and it is. It has less than 500 verses about faith, but it has over 2,000 verses about money. Over and over and over again, that the Bible speaks about money. And when the Bible speaks about something so much, and if we believe what Rachel says we believe, which is that it's actually God speaking to us, it's God's word, then we need to pay attention because obviously and clearly God has something to say about money and what we own and what we do with our stuff. When Jesus teaches about it so much, one in ten verses in the Gospels is about money. We need to listen. You see, when you become a Christian... If you're a Christian, a lot of you are. That's great. Uh, Jesus becomes Lord of your life, right? That's what it means. We, we, we submit our, our lives to, to Jesus. We realize that he is Lord. And that means all of your life. There aren't some parts of your life that you uh, allow Jesus to be Lord of and other parts that you don't. We, we don't have that kind of relationship with Jesus where we never talk about money. So if your life is a house, Jesus is allowed into all the rooms, we don't just keep them in the good room with the, I mean, my parents had a good room growing up. My mom still has a good room and it's got the, it's got the best furniture that never gets sat on, the best carpet, the best ornaments. You know, it even has a better TV, but it's never turned on except at Christmas. What's that all about? But we don't keep Jesus in the good room with the good ornaments and the good carpet and the good furniture and serving tea on the good china. That's, that's not what it means to make Jesus Lord of your life. He's in every room. He has access to all. And so Jesus has access, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, Jesus has access to your money. And actually, this is a really, really good thing. We need this, even though we might go, oh, let's not talk about money. We, we need it because we live in a world that's obsessed, obsessed with money, obsessed with the material, right? I think we would all recognize that. The, the, the phrase, money makes the world go round, is kind of true, we just, I mean, like, even in 2008, we saw it happen when the markets crashed. Like, it, 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 I mean, it, it, changed the, it changed the world. We're a consumer-driven society. We love stuff. I love stuff. We all do. Uh, just this week, uh, uh, I uh, just had the absolute joy of building a new bike for myself. It's what I love to do. And... Uh, from I ordered the parts to when they arrived, I was checking my emails every day going, when's it going to come, when's it going to come? Like somehow having a new bike would, would make me happier. Guess what? It hasn't changed, it's made me a little bit happier, but it hasn't changed my life. And we all do that. We all have possessions that we don't really know why, but we're absolutely in love with. Um, I saw a clip of the comedian uh, Ramesh Raganathan. Do you know that guy? He's very, very funny. And he was doing a, uh, he was doing a thing where he was uh, just testing how addicted we are to our phones. And there was one 
they had a crowd and it was like, uh, would you, what would you rather do instead of giving up your phone for a week? And it was all these kind of things like don't wash, lose a week's pay. There was one woman in the audience and she said she would rather let him break one of her fingers than give up her phone for a week. Isn't that crazy? We just love stuff. We love our stuff. Um, how many of us have clothes in our wardrobes that we never wear, never ever wear? I bet we all do. I do. And I don't even have that many clothes. How many of us live in households with more than one car? I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that, that our, our, our society is consumer-driven. Uh, I read this amazing statistic that said that the average 10-year-old, 10-year-old, owns, in the UK, owns 238 toys. Two, uh, half of them are in our house, by the way, uh, 238 toys. At the end of the night, when the kids go to bed, it's like 238 toys on the floor. What about debt? Think about, think about debt that we accrue. So the, the average UK household debt, this is not including mortgages, by the way, um, is at the highest it's ever been. So the average UK household owes £15,400 in debt, credit card debt, store debt, all that kind of stuff, bank loans. We live in a money and in possessions-obsessed world, and the truth is, what we're going to learn from Jesus is there's no greater evidence of, of, of where your heart lies than, than how you view that stuff, where you spend your money. If you want to see where your heart lies, what you actually love, then look at how you spend your money. And so as Christians, we need to ask ourselves the questions, what does Jesus say about this? See, for Jesus, there's a right way to think about money and a wrong way to think about money. And the kingdom of God is not the same as this world, right? This is what we've been learning the whole way uh, through this, that Jesus is bringing this, this proper good way to live that actually satisfies us and actually causes us to flourish. And, and it's opposite to the world around us. And so we need to ask the question, Jesus, what are you saying about money and stuff? What are you, how should we see this stuff? How should we handle this stuff? How should we, as followers of Jesus, relate to money and possessions? And the first thing we need to see from our text here this morning is that in relation to our money and possessions, we need to have the right treasure. Uh, I'm going to read verses 19 to 21 again. If you've got a Bible or an app open, uh, I won't make a joke without an app because I got slagged off for doing that. Apps are fine. Uh, you're just less holy than people with real Bibles. I'm only joking. Not really. Uh, verses 19 to 21, read along. Uh, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where most, moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and, uh, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, we, saw, we saw last week, if you were here or you listened on the, the podcast or whatever, uh, that Jesus has already used this idea of treasure to, to speak about our attitude and motivation when it, when it comes to our spiritual lives. So we're to give and pray and fast with the motivation of obeying and pleasing our Heavenly Father, not with, not with, the, not with the motivation of getting the approval of other people. And this idea of treasure, as he moves into this next section, becomes a more literal meaning. And, and it's, it's the same principles applied. Jesus says there's two kinds of treasure we can seek. We can seek earthly treasure or we can seek heavenly treasure and he presents these two things as mutually exclusive the the, the, the two of them are, are, are incompatible with one another so it's impossible to have a heart for money and a heart for God they're incompatible and Jesus says, we as people of the kingdom, as Christians, you and I, the church, we're, we're, to, uh, we're to store up treasures in heaven, not treasures on earth. Now, what does he mean by that? Because this kind of language is unfamiliar to us, and so we, we need to delve a wee bit deeper. So let me tell you what, what Jesus doesn't mean, because if we clear up what he doesn't mean, it'll help us uh, easier to figure out what he does mean. So Jesus firstly isn't saying that we shouldn't have any possessions, okay? He's not forbidding us from, uh, you know, owning anything. He's not saying that we should all sell everything we have and, and go and live in the woods and, and live off berries and catching rabbits and, you know, wear clothes that we find in the bin. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. The Bible doesn't forbid Christians from owning private property. Secondly, Jesus isn't saying that saving money is bad. That's not what he means when he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. In fact, the opposite is true. 
We're called to be good stewards with the money that God has given us. We're called, to, we're called to be wise. So the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament uses the ant as an example of wisdom. He, he says, look at the ant. Like it stores up food for the winter. And that's what we're supposed to do. He says, that's a wise thing to do. Save. Make provision for times of need. And then actually, Paul's letter to Timothy, uh, Paul goes so far as to say that, that the person who doesn't make provision for his family is, is like worse than an unbeliever. Like, that's how foolish it is. And then thirdly, Jesus isn't saying that we shouldn't enjoy our material possessions. The Bible says that these things are good gifts from God. And so we should enjoy them. So if you save up and go on holiday with your family, enjoy it. Thank God for it and have a great time. Or if, if you go out for a meal, a nice meal, and you have good food and good drink and good company, thank God for that and enjoy it. Enjoy it in its fullest because that is a gift from God. Jesus doesn't forbid any of these things. But yet, we're faced with this truth that he says, do not store up treasures on earth. So what does he mean? Well, hopefully you're getting a sense by now as we go through the Sermon on the Mount that it's always about the heart, isn't it? Everything with Jesus is about the heart. The kingdom of God is about your heart. The motive behind the behavior. And Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Jesus is warning us against like uh, just accumulating wealth for our selfish gain. He's saying, don't just get rich and have loads of stuff just so you'll have, be rich and have loads of stuff. That's not what the kingdom of God is like. Don't, don't let your heart be guided by trying to get more money and get more stuff. Don't be driven by the need to have and the need to consume. Don't be fooled into thinking that the more stuff and more money you have, the more satisfied and the more happy you'll be. That's just an endless rat race. But this is what, this is what the world tells us, isn't it? The world has, a, has probably one uh, distinguishing message right now. And the message is this. If you have more money and more stuff, you'll be more satisfied. The more money and stuff you have, the happier you'll be. Um, I, read, uh, I read one marketing firm uh, did some research and they said that the average modern person, so this is in the West, this is the UK and the States, the average modern person uh, is exposed to around 5,000 adverts every day. 5,000 adverts every day. Now you think, you're thinking, that's, no, that's not. But you think about what you're seeing. Shops, buses go past. On your, how many ads come up from your phone when you're on Instagram or Facebook, all that kind of stuff. Adverts everywhere, on TV. 5,000 adverts every day. 5,000 messages telling us every day that, if, that what we should invest in, that we'll be happy when we have this latest thing. You'll be happier when you look this certain way. And Jesus says, no, this isn't a true, true. You need to resist that way of thinking. That, that attitude doesn't lead anywhere good because what will happen is you'll acquire all this stuff and then someday you're going to die. And then what? Now, I just want to be clear for a second. Jesus isn't saying that you shouldn't be rich, okay? God, God actually gifts some people with the ability to make money. And, and we need to thank and praise God for that, okay? And if, you, if that's you, if you have the gift of, of being able to make money and do well financially, then you should do that. But you should have the right attitude in that. Um, I was sharing with Tim the other, the other day, I read a story of a, a CEO of a tech company, and he, um, he became a Christian when he was 47, and uh, he recently just sold uh, the majority sharehold in his company, and he got... Uh, uh, nine, 19 million windfall from the sale of his company. And what he did, as a Christian man, he gave, out of his, his, his windfall, he gave, um, he gave a thousand pounds to each, for a thousand pounds for every year of service to each member of his company, to every employee in his company. That's what being rich and having a kingdom mindset looks like. And he gives countless amounts of money away to good causes and to the church. You see, Jesus isn't forbidding us from, from being rich or he isn't even forbidding us from, from leaving an inheritance for our family. That's a good thing to do too. If, if, you, have, if you have some money, then, then leave that for your kids. Make provision for your family. Write me into your will as well. It's great. <laughs> Why are you laughing? That's not a joke. Uh, 
But what Jesus is talking about here is a life that's driven by, by making more money and getting more stuff as if the material world is all that matters. So Jesus in Mark chapter 8 says, What wisdom is there in gaining the whole world if you lose your own soul? What's the point of gaining everything that you, can, you have the ability to gain if you lose your eternal soul? Everything you own, everything you will ever own, every pound you ever earn or spend or save will one day not exist. Think about that. So why pursue it like nothing else matters when, when you can pursue lasting treasure, kingdom treasure that will never pass away? And for Jesus, it's about our hearts. Where does your heart lie? What do you love? He's saying, whatever you treasure shows where, what your heart really values. We saw this last week. If you were here, I'll recap it now. Anyone, Jesus says, um, for, where we, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we think of, of love and our heart. We tend to think of romantic love and we tend to think of affections. But in the, the Jesus, Jewish sense of the word, uh, in the ancient Jewish sense of the word, your heart was much more than just, uh, you, you know, like, like a rom-com or, or, or you know, uh, Valentine's Day. Your heart is what drives you. Your heart is your essence. Your heart is what you make all your decisions based upon. You're, you're, it sums you up as a person. And so Jesus is saying, what you value is who you really are as a person. What you value, what you treasure is what will drive you. It's going to inform how you make all your decisions. What you treasure will direct your life. And why is this so important? Because I've been saying a lot of stuff, but, you know, but what's the, what's, you know, what's, why is it so important? Because the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, not that money in itself is bad. Money's a useful thing. And when we need it, right? We need money. And when we approach it in the right way, money can be a really, really good thing, right? You can, you can use it to buy food and clothes and pay rent and pay your mortgage. You can, you can do, get the things you need. You can use it to do amazing good things, tremendous good. You can help people in need. You can buy food for the homeless. You can give money to the church to advance the gospel. You can give money to help find a cure for cancer. Money itself isn't the problem. Our hearts are the problem. Human hearts are the problem. It's the love of money that's the problem. So think about it. Without the love of money, there would be no sex trade. Think about it. That's why that, that industry exists. Without the love of money, there would, there would be no history of slavery in the world. That's why that industry existed and still exists in parts of the world. Still exists in our part of the world, to be honest. Without the love of money, there'd be no war. There'd be no blood diamonds. There would be no, uh, no ivory trade. Without the love of money, there'd be no poverty. And the, truth, the actual truth is that the world has more than enough resources so that no one has to go without. But because we love money more than we love people, there are millions of people, millions of people in the world who don't have enough to eat or drink or a place to live. All because people love money more than we love people. So Jesus says, your heart attitude about money is extremely important. So don't be self-focused when it comes to money and stuff. Everything you own, every pound you have is a gift from God. And if Jesus has your heart, then, then, then how you think about it and how you spend your money and how you approach this subject will be completely different. Now, I want to be clear. Thanks for that, Callum. Good to see he's uh, paying attention. <laughs> uh, maybe you're thinking, right? Well, I, I mean, I'm on minimum wage, or actually, I don't work, I'm on benefits. Uh, so it's different for me. I'm a student, money's tight. I don't have a lot of money or stuff, so this doesn't really apply to me. Well, let me tell you, whether you have, have much, the same principle applies. Because it's about your heart. It's not about how much you have. It's not just about being rich. It's totally possible to, to store up earthly treasure in your heart by being consumed by the pursuit of wealth, by the pursuit of stuff. So let me ask you this. How much time do you spend, even if you don't have much money, how much time do you spend thinking about money? Or what you would do if you had more money? How much time do you spend thinking about that? Well, if only I had this amount of money, then I could have a better house for my family or, or I could have a nicer car or if only I had a better job, then I could go on that holiday that I really want to go on. 
we end up being consumed by the pursuit of money. And what Jesus is saying applies just the same no matter how much you have because it's not about what's in your bank account, it's about what's in your heart. And so the challenge for us is this. What does how you store up material possessions and money say about where your heart lies? What do you love? Quite, quite frankly, that's it. What do you love? What do you treasure? Look at how you give, for example. Do you only give out of what you have left over? Or do you give off the top? Are you generous off the top, not off the bottom? This is hugely challenging for us, and it should be, but it's a good thing because Jesus is saying, if you want to flourish, if you want to live well, if, if, if you want to live in a kingdom and you want to live eternally, then this is what it's like. Is giving to the church of Jesus a priority for you? Is there, is there a Jesus line in your budget? Because if Jesus really is your Lord, then it should be your top line. He should get the first fruits, not the leftovers. And in that, we trust, we trust that he's our good father and he provides all that we need. Um, I want to give you a principle for thinking about money, and I think it's great. A, te- a teacher of mine gave me this principle, and it's something he's started teaching his kids about money. And because we're all spiritual kids, I'll share it with us. Um, four things to do with money. Get it fairly. Give it generously. Save it wisely and spend it joyfully. Get it fairly, give it generously, save it wisely and spend it joyfully. And I think that really sums up a a kingdom of God approach to money. That we work hard and we receive our wages fairly and the first thing we do is give generously. And then we save wisely for a rainy day. And then we're able in the freedom of Christ to spend joyfully. We can go for that meal because God has given us good things. So let's not store up money and possessions with a selfish heart. Let's have the right treasure. But, but the second thing we need to see is that we also need to have the right perspective. So look at what Jesus says in verses 22 to 24. He says, the eye is the, the lamp to the body, the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. And you cannot serve God and money. Um, This is quite a confusing kind of uh, analogy. It doesn't really make sense in our context. So so let's figure out what's going on. Jesus uses the uh, the metaphor of the eye as a lamp for the body. Now, he's not saying that, you know... (laughs) light shines out of our eyes as we think a lamp does it's not like um what do you call her captain marvel you know as your eyes light up it's not like that but thanks one person got that um and but just as we take a lamp and we see by its light it's by our eyes that illuminates our our life in that way that our eyes guide our lives It's, it's through our eyes that we do everything that we do and so if your eyes are damaged you can't see clearly. Or, or maybe your eyes are damaged to the point where, where you can't see at all and you're in darkness. But there's also a deeper meaning here. You see, in Jewish literature, the, the eye is also a symbol for the heart. And we know what the heart is. We've just seen that. So the phrase set the heart is kind of like replaceable with, it's the same, excuse me, it's the same as set, uh, fix the eye. So to set your heart on something is the same uh, as, as fixing your eye on something. So we see this in Psalm 119. The, the writer says, with my whole heart I seek you. Don't let me wander away from your commandments. And then later on in the same passage he says, I have fixed my eyes in your commandment. It's the same idea. What you fix your eyes on is symbolic of what your heart is set on. And so just as your eye affects your whole body, your heart, that is your, your drive and your ambition, affects your whole life. And so if your heart is fixed in the wrong thing, then you're actually in darkness. If your eye is damaged and not healthy, as Jesus says, then your body is full of light. You can't see where you're going. And so it's the same. If your heart is damaged, if your heart is set on the wrong thing, then your life is full of darkness. You're going down the wrong path. If this is the case, your treasure is all wrong. You have the wrong perspective, Jesus is saying. And this is what he warns us against. He's asking, what is your life driven by? What is your heart fixed on? What is your gaze fixed on? That's my goal. That's where I'm going. My gaze is fixed on that. 
That's what he's asking us. Is it driven by uh, getting more money? Do, do I want to have a more luxurious and extravagant lifestyle? Because if that's so, then it's actually a path to darkness. So what is your heart set on? What do you treasure? Jesus says you can't serve too much. It'll either belong to, to God or it'll belong to, to money and stuff. And maybe you find it surprising that, that Jesus uses slavery language here. And, and, but, but let me ask you this. How many people do you know that are a slave to their job? Think about it that way. How many people do you know have missed family meals because of their job? How many people do you know have like been distracted on holiday because of their job? Because they have to make money. A client can't wait or my boss is going to be really annoyed if I don't do this right now. How many, do you, how many people do you know that are a slave to their bills and their mortgage? How many people do you know that are slaves to having the right clothes and listening to the right music and going to the right places and, and having the right lifestyle? Because we, we think that these things are harmless, don't we? We've already seen that they, in the right way they are good gifts. But sometimes we buy into the lie that, that these are the right things to prioritize and before long, we, before we even realize it, we're, we're actually in bondage to them. We can't escape their grip. You see, Jesus used this slavery language. No one can serve two masters. He used that language because what he's getting at is about your whole life devotion. You can work for two employers, but you can't serve two masters. And the truth is that we all serve something, don't we? As you go through life, you're going to serve something. Something that's going to have the, the, the biggest drive and the biggest ambition of your heart. And for most people, without even knowing or realizing that most people in the world, it's money and stuff. Even us as Christians, right? We, we say that we're devoted to Jesus, but maybe we're actually devoted to financial security and living a comfortable life. We say we love Jesus, but, but we're actually as slaves to stuff and, and, and financial security. How many times have you heard people say like, well, when, when, you know, when, I have more, when we have more money, then we'll get married. Or, well, when we're a bit more secure financially, then we'll have kids. And, and, and these things, I'm not saying, those, what I'm trying to say is that, that if you think about it, subtly, finances and money and financial, financial security are controlling the direction and decisions of your life. Without realizing it. Instead of being obedient to Jesus and, and trusting God when he says that he's going to provide for us and going to take care of us. That's what should guide and control our lives and direct our lives. Jesus says, this doesn't work. You see, you can either serve me or you can serve money and stuff. It's about your heart. It's a, you can't serve two things. You serve what you love. And if you love Jesus, if Jesus is your Lord, then remember the analogy, you let him into every room of your house, including the money room. Imagine the money room, that'd be great, wouldn't it? I'm easily distracted, as you can tell. You can't get away with, with trying to make Jesus Lord of your life if actually you're allowing your life to be driven by money and stuff and financial security and gain. So let me ask you, what do you serve? When you, when you, when you look at your finance, you consider uh, your attitude to money and stuff and possessions. How do you spend? How do you give? How do you save? What, what does it really tell you about yourself? What do you need to, do you need to reprioritize? Does Jesus really have your heart? Because if he does, then you'll have the right treasure and you'll have the right perspective. And then our third lesson, we need to have the right peace of mind. Uh, look at what Jesus says in verse 25, you have it in front of you. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, nor about what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, a good principle for reading the Bible is anytime you see the word therefore, you have to stop and ask what it's therefore. You see, Jesus is saying, it's cheesy, but you'll remember it. Jesus is saying, everything I'm about to tell you now about not worrying, that's because of everything I've told you. Because of all of this, don't worry. We're not to worry about our lives. We're not to worry about having enough food or having clothes. We're not to worry about getting our bills paid or being able to afford our rent. Jesus' message is simple. If we have the right treasure and the right perspective, then money and possessions should not be a source of anxiety for us. But yeah, so often they are, right? 
How, how often do we worry about money? Every day. Uh, I, I read this um, poll done by the independent newspaper and it said that uh, 72, this was in 2018, so last year, 70, 72% of people in the UK, can I just start that again? 72% of people in the UK have experienced mental health or well-being issues. 72%. And 55% of those people said that their mental health issues came from worrying about money. Young people, that's people aged between 18 and 34, which is probably most of us in this room, just for another couple of weeks, that's me as well. Um, I'm, taking, I'm taking it while I can get it. Young people stress about money an average of 5.6 times a week. That's almost once a day you're stressed about money. Not just thinking about it, stressed about it. In another poll in the same newspaper, uh, money was the top reason why married couples get, like, get split, up, split up, get divorced. One in five couples said that, that money was the source of most of their arguments as a married couple. I wonder how many times you've worried about money in the last week. And notice the thing that Jesus tells us not to be anxious about. He says, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. These things, what we eat and drink and wear on our body. Now, I'm no expert, but I'm pretty sure that food and clothes and, and body image is why Instagram exists, right? That's pretty much it. That's all I see. Look at my food. Look at my clothes. Look at my sweet abs. That's my account, obviously. <laughs> Our society is obsessed with the human body. Obsessed with the human body. You have to eat certain things. You have to look a certain way. And no, no wonder so many people have anxiety about these things. Because we're literally trained to be anxious about the way we look. And about what we eat. And these things are so easily just become our priorities. They slip in there. We're trained this way. And before we know it, like how many, how many marriages are affected by, by negative body image? Another stat, uh, this is from the NHS, says 90% of young women in the UK are unhappy with their body shape. 90%. Nine out of 10 young women in the UK are unhappy with the way they look. Who told them that that was a bad thing? And we just write it off, don't we? Say, well, that's just the way it is. I'll never be happy. No one's really happy with the way they look. I'll never be happy with how much money I earn or, or the stuff I have. I'll always want, you know, it's, it's just the way it is. Everyone worries about money. But are we really going to accept that this is okay? Are we really going to accept that worrying about money and obsessing with our bodies is okay? Jesus says, stop doing this. I've, I've got a better way for you. I've got a way of freedom. I've got a way of peace and contentment. I love you and I don't want you to worry. He says, you're so much more than your body. Life is about so much more than money and stuff. I, I just, as I was preparing this, I really believe that the Lord wanted me to say this to you this morning. I just want to pause for a second and say this. If you struggle with this kind of thing, if you find yourself being preoccupied with the way you look or upset about that, or you find yourself obsessing about it, I just want to encourage you this is what Jesus says. He said, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? You're more than just a body to be fed and clothed. You're made in the image of God. You're loved by God. And he's your father and you're precious to him. I, I just want you to hear that. This, this isn't the kingdom way of thinking. We shouldn't let these things become a source of anxiety for us. And so three times Jesus commands us to do not be anxious, do not be anxious. Now most of us hate the idea of commands, right? Uh, I, I know I do. And, and maybe the last thing you want to hear when you're, if you're worried about something is don't worry, right? I've certainly had a few fights in my time because I say don't worry and, and that's the wrong thing to say and it's a silly thing to say. But here Jesus says don't worry. It's a command, and here's why it needs to be a command, okay? Here's why you need to hear it as a command today. 
Think about the nature of worrying. What is worrying? Worrying is always about the future. It's always concern for the future, okay? Uh, that job interview coming up, how your kids are going to turn out, Brexit, the, the, B, the B word. Um, you worry about stuff that's in the future, even if the source of your worry is in the past. So maybe you sat an exam this week that's in the past, but you're not worried about that. You're actually worried about the mark that you're going to get when it comes out, right? Worry is always about the future, but the ironic thing is that you can't control the future. None of us can. Only God knows what the future holds, and, and every day of your life is planned out from start to finish. He knows exactly what's in store for you, and so we can just give it over to him. This is what Jesus is saying, and so the reason it's a command, the reason Jesus repeats this, it's, in literary terms, it's called an imperative it's a command. It's a statement to do something or to not do something. In this case, he says three times, do not worry. Because worry is us trying to put ourselves in God's shoes and control the future. When you worry, you're, you're actually trying to be God. Worry is putting your trust in your, your own capabilities and realizing that you've got nothing, that, you're, that, you're, that you come up short. Worry is looking, it's looking in here and realizing... I can't do anything about this. Worry is looking inward and not upward. Worry is quite simply not trusting God. And so Jesus commands us not to worry. Don't worry about having enough money. Don't worry about having the right body. Don't worry about having the right clothes. Don't be overly concerned about these things. And so not worrying is actually the kingdom way. It's the opposite of this world. Not worrying is worship because, it, like I said at the start, it puts us in our rightful place and it puts God in his rightful place. Not worrying is, is submission to God. And when God commands us not to worry, you, you can hear this in two ways. You can either hear it like he's a tyrant with a big stick and he's going to beat you over the head and he wants to bend you to his will so that he can oppress you and you'll be miserable. Or you can hear this as the love and command of a father who knows what's best for you. You see, the Sermon on the Mount is, is about human flourishing. It's about living in the way that we were created to live. And you weren't created to, to live with anxiety. You weren't created to live with worry. And the truth is, the one who commands you to not worry about having enough is the one who provides everything you need. The one who commands us not to worry about having enough is the one who provides us with everything we need. Imagine we finally, like, are we boy? Imagine if he went around all day worrying, am I going to get dinner tonight? He doesn't do that. He lives freely and he lives, he lives in joy because he knows that when he sits at the table, something's going to be put on the table for him. And that's how we are to be with our Father. He's our Father. Jesus repeats over and over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount this idea that, that he, he actually speaks about his own Father as our Father. He places us firmly inside his family. This is what the gospel does. When we trust in Jesus, we're, we're made part of his family. We become heirs to the kingdom of God. And your father loves you and he cares for you. He never takes his eye off you. So you don't need to worry because God cares for you. Jesus says, uh, look, look, look at the birds. They, they don't get consumed with their job and, and their, their money worries. And yet, the heavenly, your heavenly father feeds them. They're perfectly looked after. Or look at the wildflowers. They don't, they don't make their own clothes. They don't work hard so they can you know, go down to Victoria Square and buy what they need. They don't do that. But yet, even Solomon, the wealthiest person who's ever lived, even by today's standard, he's wealthier than all of that, they reckon. Even he wasn't uh, dressed as well as the flowers are. Now, if God provides for them in this way, how much more, how much more, Jesus said, is he going to provide for you, his children? God made your body. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He, he gave you life. He's known you since before you were even conceived. And he loved you so much that he gave up his very life for you. He took on human flesh and he died on the cross for you. So, so why would you ever think that, why would we ever think that, that he wouldn't provide what we need? Why would we ever think that he doesn't know what's best for us? And this is what it means that, that, that we have the right peace of mind. And by the way, this doesn't mean that we, that we shouldn't go out to work, right? If you're able to work, you should work. Let's not be lazy. 
God provides for the birds, but, but it's not like, you know, some seed magically appears in their nest, right? That's not what happens. They go out and they get their food. They find, they, they find the, the, the bugs and the worms and the seeds and all the rest of it. God provides uh, for our physical needs most often through the ability to work. And we should work if we're able to. And we should work hard. And we shouldn't just treat our bodies badly either. We shouldn't just, you know, be eating Chinese all the time and, you, you know, not exercising. We should have concern about that we're, we're being a good steward of our body. Consume us. We work hard. Uh, we don't worry. Worry doesn't do anything. Jesus says, he actually says, which of you can add even an hour to your life by worrying? Which of you can add even an hour to your life? What is an hour over 80 years? You can't even change your, in fact, worrying actually shortens your life, right? <laughs> now, I don't want to be insensitive, and we're, and we're getting to the end. I don't want to be insensitive because I know so many of us struggle with worry and anxiety, uh, whether it's about money, whether it's about body image, whether it's about providing for your kids, whether it's about lifestyle, all that kind of stuff. So I want to just spend this last, set, last few minutes here uh, by answering the question, how are we supposed to not worry? How are we supposed to, to not be, be angry? And our last lesson is this. In relation to our money and possessions, we need to have the right ambition. We need to have the right ambition. See, Jesus is talking the whole way through about our heart, what drives us. A couple of times in here, he mentions what we seek. In verse, 30, verse 33, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In other words, make the kingdom of God your first priority. Make the kingdom of God what you strive for. Make the kingdom of God your ambition. That's actually the key to human flourishing. That's how you live a good life, is, is prioritizing the kingdom of God. And, and we saw even in the Lord's Prayer a couple of weeks ago that, that he doesn't say neglect the bodily needs because we're actually to ask God for what we need, right? Give us this day our daily bread. We're supposed to ask what we need for physically, but our primary concern is with God's name, his kingdom, and his will. And when Jesus says the kingdom of God, we've talked about this before, but I want to refresh it because it's important. What he simply means is, is God ruling over his people, right? And so when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom, he's saying, prioritize God ruling over your life. And this sounds, uh, this means submitting to every area of your life to, to, to God. Our home, our marriage, our, our family, our friendships, our work, our life, our business, our jobs, our, our bank balance, the way we vote, all of it. All of it led by Jesus and making him our first importance. That's the key to human flourishing, Jesus says. And it starts with us, but it doesn't stop with us. Seeking first the kingdom, prioritizing Jesus means that, that, that it spreads out. We show it and, t and tell it to our friends and our families and our neighbors. And then it spreads out even further so that we seek God's kingdom and his rule over our city and over our country and over the world. This is why we spend so much time talking about mission and village. Our mission is to pursue the kingdom of God until the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That's what Habakkuk, the prophet Habakkuk in the Old Testament tells us. And someday that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the face of the earth as the waters cover the sea. And this is, this is the example of Jesus, isn't it? All of this, putting the kingdom of God first. This is the example of Jesus. This is the message of the gospel. That, that, that Jesus sacrificing himself on a cross is, is the ultimate pursuit of the right treasure. It's the ultimate uh, having the right perspective. The cross of Jesus, when he gave up himself to die for us, it's the ultimate fulfillment of seeking first the kingdom of God. And, and, and Jesus, uh, fully God and fully human, in obedience to the Father and through the, the, through the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in him, pursued it and won it for us. And because of what he did, we're free. We're free to live this way. We're free to live without worry. We're free to live without anxiety. We're free to know that our Father provides for us and knows exactly what we, he, we need. And we're free to pursue the kingdom because of the cross. And just like Jesus, right? We obey the Father. In obedience to the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. If you're a Christian, that literally means the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you. 
And by his power, we seek first the kingdom. And listen to the promise here. And this is the encouragement. Listen to the promise at the end of verse 33. And all these things will be added unto you. You know, this is not prosperity gospel. This is not a get rich quick scheme. This is not some kind of, if you do this, I guarantee you'll be rich. Actually, we're guaranteed trouble as we follow Jesus. But all these things do include what we eat and what we drink and what we wear, all our practical needs. And Jesus tells us that we don't have to worry about them because we have a good, almighty, all-knowing Father in heaven who cares for us. Just look at the birds, look at the flowers. And we as God's, we're God's children. We're far, 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 far more valuable than any of those things. And Jesus says, listen, your Father loves you. He cares for you. He'll provide for you. All the things that you're worried about, where am I going to live? How is that situation going to work out? What is my job going to be? Who am I going to marry? Am I going to be alone forever? How am I going to afford to make rent? All these things will be added to you. You can rest. You don't need to worry. I'm sure that means that sometimes God in his wisdom will, 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 mean that, will, will allow you to go without. But he still cares for you. And he still loves you. So let me encourage you with this. If you find yourself worried about money, okay, you don't have to put your hand up. Confess to you that I worry about this kind of stuff. If you find yourself overly concerned about money and possessions, just please, Jesus says, stop putting your hope in yourself and start putting your hope in God. You don't have to put your hope in your, your own ability to make enough money, to have enough stuff. God says, I'll never let you down. God is surer than any bank, right? We put our trust in the banks, don't we? Markets fluctuate. Brexit happens. Things crash. But, 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 but Jesus never fluctuates. God never crashes. He never lets you down. He loves you so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die for you. And this is what uh, the Peter, the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, this is what he says to encourage the, the church uh, in, in ancient, what is now modern-day Turkey. This is what he said to them as they were facing poverty and persecution and all kinds of things. He says, cast all your cares upon God because he cares for you. Let me pray for us um, before we come to the Lord's table.